for your presence tonight. Your glory is awesome here. And Lord, I just pray that there be a fresh anointing released right now. Lord, I pray that you would anoint our eyes and ears to see and hear. Give us good fertile soil tonight of hearts and minds. Lord, that your word that you would speak through me, your word, living seeds of truth that are sown into good fertile soil tonight, wherever this goes. And Lord, that your Holy Spirit would water those seeds of truth. They'll take root, grow, and produce a hundredfold harvest of eternal fruit that remains until Jesus comes. Lord, let everything be accomplished. Your will be done tonight through the word. Lord, as you speak through me, in Jesus' name we pray, amen. You know, Jeremiah was telling me that he had a vision one night in here, and he said that he saw me preaching. He said, as I was preaching, he said he could see seeds that were going. He said, it, he said that during the worship time, in the vision, he said we were worshiping. During the worship time, it was like people, people were soil, and they were churned up. And so they were like tilled up soil. And he said when I was preaching, he said it was like a, somebody threw seed and it just went like that. And then he said after the service in the vision, I would pray for people. And he said when I pray for people, he said he saw water hitting the seed. And he said as soon as the water hit the seed, the seed just kind of took root like that in people. He gave me permission to use that in a sermon, he said. <laughs> he's he's funny guy. He said, you can use that, Pastor, if you want to. So, I, said, I said, I will, I will, brother. It's a, it's a good vision, wasn't it? That was powerful. <laughs> All right, so anyway, let me dive into this. This I want to talk at the beginning. I'm actually going to go through the tabernacle. We're going to talk about the glory. But how many knows we need the glory in these last days? But before I get into that, I want to talk about generational transfer real quick. You can mark the next generation. It is our responsibility to not neglect the next generation. It's our responsibility to pass Pentecost to the next generation. It grieves me that I'm seeing so many out there that are getting away from Pentecostal roots. They want to relegate the Holy Spirit, the move of the Holy Spirit to some back room somewhere. I guess they're afraid it'll, you know, He'll offend people. Tongues will offend people, whatever. But listen, we need to be the ones passing Pentecost to the next generation. And you're not going to pass it to the next generation by trying to close it up in some back room because you're ashamed of it. And not only do we need to pass Pentecost, we need to pass the torch of revival. The torch of revival has been passed to us, but it's our responsibility to take that torch and light the fire of the next generation. If we don't do it, who's going to do it? I love hearing um, Jake Hamilton. He always says, all the time, he says, if not now, then when? If not you, then who? So it needs to be us. It needs to be now. We need to be laying hold of this. But you can mark the next generation. Those of you that have kids. Those of you that have grandkids. Those of you that, that have a heart. Not only for biological, but also uh, spiritual children. But you can mark the next generation. And please hear me when I say this. You can anoint with oil the next generation and you can release a blessing that will come on them. You can release a prophetic word that will come on them and it will mark them. And I'm going to tell you that those, those blessings and those words, they literally go, I don't understand it, but they go on people. They rest on them like a garment. And whenever they come up in life against impossible circumstances, that blessing that's on them, that prophetic word that's on them, somehow it parts the waters in front of them so that they can go through. Did everybody hear that? 
We want the next generation, we want their steps to be ordered into their destiny. We want them to take the land. We want to be able to have them stand on our shoulders so that the ground that we took, they can go farther. We want all of that, but it's our responsibility to mark that generation. It's our responsibility to put the blessing, the Father's blessing on them. It's our responsibility to pass, you know, prophetic words onto them that will set them on their path. I don't think that anybody can really fully grasp, any of us, how significant what I'm saying really is. Because the next generation, if they don't, if they're not marked properly and if they're not blessed, the enemy will really try to resist them. But if the fathers and mothers of the faith will mark them and bless them and pass the torch to them, then they'll have the endowment from heaven to be able to go up against the satanic resistance and the waters apart and they'll go right through. But when they don't have that, then they they have a very difficult time. They seem to limp along. But God doesn't want them to limp. You know, it's just like a relay race. The fathers of the faith that's gone before us, and we've been studying some of that on God's generals. Robert Sleard and Selgrip, it's been awesome. But you know, they ran their course faithfully. And then they passed the baton to this generation. Now hopefully we'll run our course faithfully, but whenever we get to the next generation and we pass them the baton, you don't want them to hobble along defeated. They need to rel- we need to pass to them the mantle. We need to pass to them an impartation, an anointing that will carry them, that will take them into their destiny and what they're called to do. They're going to be facing tremendous resistance in these last days. And so... I feel that's very important because in these last days it talks about the spirit of Elijah coming before the great and terrible day of the Lord. The terrible day of the Lord is his second coming. And the spirit of Elijah is coming. And here's how it works. See, whenever Jesus came the first time, the forerunner was John the Baptist. What did he have? He had the spirit of Elijah on him. The spirit of Elijah is not only prophetic, but it's fiery, revival, repentance, and it prepares the way for Christ's coming. So John the Baptist was the forerunner for Christ, the first coming, but now in these last days it's going to be the bride of Christ that's going to be the forerunner for Christ's second coming and the spirit of Elijah is coming upon the bride. I didn't say the body, I said the bride because there's a difference. The spirit of Elijah is coming upon God's remnant and God's going to use us to help prepare for his second coming. Yes, it will be prophetic, the spirit of Elijah. Yes, it will be the sevenfold manifestation of the Holy Spirit. But it is the Holy Spirit coming in a way that is fiery and it brings repentance and cleansing and it helps to prepare for the coming of the Lord. But we have got to, in Malachi it says in chapter 4, it says the hearts of the fathers have got to be turned to the children and children to the fathers lest I strike the land with a curse. And there's places, geographic places and there's ministries that are living under a curse Because they refuse to honor the next generation. Not only that, but even those that are younger refuse to honor the fathers of the faith. There's something about, the Bible gives us a principle that if you honor your father and mother, all goes well for you in life. You have longevity. Long life, things go well for you. When we honor the fathers and mothers of the faith that's gone before us, there's something about that that causes us to have longevity. Let me put it another way. You want a long, sustained, powerful move of God. You want things to go well for you. You want the revival to have longevity. Then honor the fathers of the faith and the mothers of the faith. But there's got to be a passing. 
the, the, the hearts of the parents spiritually have got to be turned to the children, children to the fathers. And when that happens, this is what Satan, one of the things he fears the most is generational transfer. Satan wants it to die with one generation and not be passed to the next. And you see that in the book of Judges. Because it says there was a generation that rose up that did not know the Lord. Moses knew the Lord. Joshua's generation knew the Lord. But after Joshua died, something happened where things were not properly passed to the next generation. And the Bible says there was a generation that raised up in Israel that did not know the Lord. And what you hear all through the book of Judges is they struggled in sin. God had to judge them. They had to come under, you know, in those days the enemy came in and put them under control in our time. They come under demonic bondage. They come under the enemy's control. And then God would send them a deliverer. And it was cycles of destruction because they didn't really know the Lord. So it's our responsibility to pass to the next generation what they need to succeed. And I speak this out to other ministers and people quit putting, you know, the younger generation, all that in some back room like they're being babysat. Because they're actually the future of the body of Christ and not only the future, but God's using them right now. Many of them are actually being used very powerfully right now in their youth. But they are the ones that God's going to raise up one day to be the pastors of the future, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and we need to be investing in them. All right. I want to talk about the tabernacle. I mean, as we are the tabernacle of the Holy Spirit. When God spoke to Moses to make the tabernacle, Moses was given things that were shown him from heaven. They were replicated on the earth. This is very powerful. When they created the tabernacle, the tabernacle was the size of a football field or so. And on the outside of that whole football field length piece of land they set up a white fence around it and that was called the outer court. It was lit up by natural sunlight. Then in the middle they had a tent and in that tent was the holy place and then behind that was the holy of holies but that was covered. It was a tent. The outer court area lit by natural sunlight represents your flesh as a, as a human being. Represents your flesh where the sinful nature is. And everything with your flesh is natural sunlight. You don't get divine revelation with your flesh. When you get past the outer court, you go into the holy place. The holy place represents your soul. And the holy of holies represents your spirit. Let me show you some more revelation about that. The outer court represents the age of the law. The holy place represents the church age. And the Holy of Holies represents the millennial reign of Christ. There's a lot of revelation in this. The outer court represents the Father. The holy place represents the Son. The Holy of Holies represents God the Holy Spirit. Because I'm going to end with this when it talks about deep calling to deep. Okay, So I'm going somewhere with this. When you pray, I've given you a lot of information about prayer. Friend, listen. At the end of this, we all should have a deep prayer life. If you haven't heard all these, you need to go back and hear them. Because we can have an extended, powerful, rich, anointed, awesome prayer life. We really can. But see, when you enter into prayer, you're more or less entering in in the flesh. 
And you've got to get past that outer court of your flesh and you start moving into the realm of the soul. And in the realm of the soul area, you're worshiping God, you're, you're beginning your prayer time, your mind's getting focused on the Lord. That's the soul. Your emotions are being expressed to the Lord. Anyway, as you're praying and you keep praying and you keep worshiping, eventually you move past just the soul and you get to where God's presence comes and now it's more spirit to spirit. And that's where God wants you to get. Did everybody get that? We've got to get past the flesh and we've even got to get past our own human soul and we've got to get to a place where it's spirit to spirit. That's revealed in the tabernacle. So whenever you came up to the tabernacle and you were going to actually enter it, there was only one gate and it was in the east and it represents the gospel. There is no other way you can get into God's presence, period, except through the gospel. Jesus is it. He is the door. You're not going to get into God's presence through the new age. You'll get into demonic presence. You will not get into God's presence through Islam or Buddhism. You will not get into God's presence through any other cult. The Mormon church. None of that's going to get you into God's presence. It's got to be through Jesus. That's it. He's the only gate. That's the message of the outer court. There's only one way in. Once you get past the gate, you've heard the gospel, you've accepted the gospel, the next thing is the bronze altar. That was where animals' blood was shed. So the next thing you do is you come through the blood. I'm not going to dwell on this because I've preached so much on it already, but we've got to come through the blood. If you haven't heard the other sermons on prayer, please go back and hear them. But the blood washes you. This is the time that you can really understand the power of the cross, healing, deliverance, everything that was paid for, it's all represented at the bronze altar. The bronze altar was where the priest would kill the animal. The animal would be cut into five pieces. Five is the number of grace. Jesus was pierced twice. Number three, and on his feet five times grace. They would cut the animal in five pieces, put it on there. They would sprinkle the blood. That altar, there was blood everywhere on that altar. The message was the blood. Once you get past that, the next place you go is now the laver. The laver did not have measure because it represents God's word and you can have as much of the word as you want. But the laver was just a bronze, large bowl of water that sat there. And the priest would go up to it and they could not go into God's presence without washing their hands and feet. They could not go in the tabernacle. And they would stand over that laver and they would look in that water and they would see their own reflection. And when you see your own reflection, you can see if you need to wash anything off your face. You see where I'm going with this? When you get into God's Word, you begin to see the places that need to be cleansed. The Bible talks about the washing of the water of the Word. Water baptism can be symbolized in this, but I'll get into that later. But as they're standing there over the laver, they can wash themselves, they wash their hands, they wash their feet, they get washed. And what's represented there is the sanctifying work of the Word of God and the sanctifying work of God's Spirit. Because whenever you get to this place right here, you've got to understand that God the Holy Spirit is wanting to deal with us about things in our lives that need to change. So as you come through the gate of Christ and you come through the blood, this is the tabernacle pattern of prayer. 
take time here to look at things in your own life and pray about it. Are there any idols in your life? See, the Lord will have no other gods before Him or alongside Him. And let me tell you the quickest way to discern there's an idol in your life. Are you willing to give it up if God told you to? If you say no or it would be hard, it's an idol. That's it. It's not hard to figure this stuff out. Anything in your life that you don't want to give up, even if God told you to, that's an idol. The problem with idols is it begins to block God's presence and His blessing in your life. It actually, the Bible says, because of idolatry, the sins of the fathers are passed to the third and fourth generation. So idolatry is very serious. And it's not just worshiping some statue. Yeah, that's idolatry. But idolatry is things that have your affections. They have your love. They have your heart. God wants all of your heart or nothing. Let me tell you about God and something you probably won't hear from a lot of pulpits. God wants everything or nothing. He wants all of you or none of you. He doesn't want part of you. Some people want to come to God and say, well, you know, I'll give you some of my life and I'll follow you some. And they draw a lot of lines in the sands. There's a lot of conditions in their commitment. Most likely before the end comes for them, most likely they'll fall away at some point. Because they're not truly committed to the Lord. The Lord wants everything. So is there any idols? Is there any relationships? Is there any type of music? Is there any type of material possessions? Anything in your life that's an idol and you ask the Lord to forgive you and take that root out of your heart and get it out of your life, okay? The next thing is, looking at the Ten Commandments, have you used God's name in vain? As a cuss word. Do you use it in vain at all? God's name is holy, it's to be reverenced. What about honoring your parents? You know, in, in American society, I think people have really gotten away from a lot of that. Because you, when your parents get older, you take care of them. Okay, I realize that there's times that, that there's no other option, that you have to do something where there's somebody there 24-7. I understand that. There's times for that. But a lot of people nowadays... They're like, well, it's just an inconvenience, so they just throw them in a home or something. That's not honoring your parents. Okay, Honoring your parents is taking care of them, doing things for them, and it's also showing them respect. Okay, Are you honoring your parents? Another thing is, is there adultery in your life? Two things about adultery. Looking with lust, pornography, anything that is sexual that shouldn't be in your life, adultery in that respect. But also, is there an unfaithfulness to the Lord? Where there's things that God has spoken to you to get out of your life, but you've returned back to those things like a dog returns to its vomit, that's adultery. The Lord said don't do that and you're doing... See, the relationship with Jesus for the body of Christ is this. When you meet somebody that God's brought into your life and you fall in love and you make a commitment to one another, it's a covenant relationship. And it's expected that you are going to be faithful to them and they're going to be faithful to you. It's expected. When you come into a covenant relationship with Jesus, it's expected that now you're going to be faithful to him. And the Lord, I'm going to tell you something, the Lord will not keep people very long in a situation where they have to serve or love Him. 
Sometimes kids grow up in church and they go because they have to or whatever. But there'll come a point in time where the Lord says, I'm going to tell you something, the Lord doesn't even really like that period. Because I think the parents are doing an awesome job doing that. You need to do that. You need to take your kids even if they don't like it. Okay, all that. But I'm going to tell you though, God does not like the heart in people that are being forced to love and serve Him. And God will bring it to a head one day where He removes all of that and He's going to see, does this person really love me or not? Because when they're in secret, let's see when nobody's around if they're going to be faithful to me or not. And the Bible says in the last days there'll be a great falling away. You're not going to be able to ride your parents' coattail into heaven. You're not. You're not going to be able to ride your spouse's coattail. You're going to have to have a relationship for yourself. Another thing is, is there any stealing? You know, there's little compromises people do sometimes. and I, Things like, um, I heard one preacher give this example, but they'll borrow something, but you never see it again. You know, years pass and they think it's theirs. I mean, bottom line is that's stealing, isn't it? There's a lot of ways I think that people compromise and take things that really don't rightfully belong to them. What about lying? Some people have such a habit about it. Something comes up and they just lie. Lying is actually a very dangerous thing. Because the Bible connects, if you read the scriptures, it connects lying with having a, a hardened, seared conscience. Did you hear that? People that lie, they don't realize what they're doing, but they're actually hardening and searing their own conscience to where they keep, they'll keep lying. And they keep doing other things and they don't feel convicted about it anymore. That's a dangerous place to be. Lying is actually a very serious sin. You know, people in the world are like, oh, well, you know, something comes up. But if you read the Bible, the Bible says in Revelation 21, verse 8, you can write that down. It says that all liars, not some, not a few, not here and there, all liars will have their place in the lake of fire. So obviously God has a different opinion about lying than what people do. And another thing in the Ten Commandments is coveting. Do you envy or covet what other people have? Instead of being thankful for what you have. Some people, they live like that. They're constantly looking at what other people have and wishing they had it. What about being thankful and content with what you have? And not only that, but Jesus taught us, if you'll seek first the kingdom, then these other things will be added. But it's so important that you seek first the kingdom. That your heart is fully going after Jesus. And once you fully have given your heart to Him and you're going after Him and you're content in life, then the Lord can begin to add things to your life. I've made a list of things that fall under the category of the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life that I put here. But this is just a checklist. When you're at the labor, is there pride? Is there ungodly fear? Rebellion? How's things with you and the authority that's over you? Some people, man, they sneak around and, and they'll know something's wrong and they still sneak around and do it. It's rebellion. What about sins of the mouth? Flying off, saying things you shouldn't say, gossip, slander, but not only that, saying things that are hurtful. What about greed? What about ungodly anger, losing the temper? Ungodly anger is a very serious thing in God's eyes to the degree that the Bible says that somebody cannot be an elder if they're given to losing their temper. You know why? 
Because people that lose their temper all the time, they usually hurt people. And you know, people can forgive you, but sometimes it takes years to get healed from the damage that was done by somebody's mouth when they lost their temper or something even physically. Because sometimes when somebody is abused physically, it also wounds them emotionally. Okay? Ungodly control. What I mean by that is people that always feel like they have to be in control of everything. That's actually demonic. And it's akin to what we call a Jezebel spirit. And when a Jezebel spirit's at work, it brings a lot of mental and emotional torment. And it brings a lot of health problems with it. And until the person conquers the Jezebel spirit, they're probably going to be tormented. But that's from being controlling. How many of some people are control freaks? Let Jesus deliver you from that. You know what the root of that is? It's usually fear. And if somebody would just trust Jesus, they could get over that fear business. Right? Or another thing is religious. Some people are religious. And what I mean by that is a religious spirit is critical. It seems to be judgmental and it's, it's like debating. The fruit of a religious spirit is critical, fault-finding, judgmental, and debate. But it's somebody that has a really hard time with the move of the spirit and being free. It seems like that they turn to legalism. And that's a, that's a major bondage. So checking yourself at the laver, getting yourself washed with the water of the word, getting all this stuff off your life. This is a powerful thing I recommend that you do on a regular basis. The next thing is, when you now you're going from the outer court and you're going into the holy place. When you go from the outer court, you're going from natural sunlight. Wherever, and I'm going somewhere with this about the natural sunlight. See, some people live their life only seeing things from a human perspective. But you get past the outer court and now you're moving into the holy place. And as you're going into the holy place, you're actually going inside of a tent. So as you go inside the tent, you go through that doorway there and you go in. And when you get in, you begin to smell the fragrance of the incense that's burned there every day. You look to your right and you see the table of showbread. You look to your left and you see the lampstand. And right in front of you is the altar of incense. Now you're in the holy place. In this holy place, let me give you some patterns. As you go to the table of showbread, it has to do with hearing the word of the Lord. Let me give you some things here. In Luke 24, it talks about the road to Emmaus. I want you to think about this. There was a couple disciples. Jesus raised from the dead, and he appeared to a couple disciples. They're walking along the road to Emmaus. They did not know it's the Lord. How many times have all of us had something like this in our Christian walk, and we didn't even know God was in it? And when we get to heaven, Jesus is going to go back to our lives and we're going, man, Lord, you were there. I didn't even see you. I didn't even recognize you, but you were there. But see, as they were walking with Jesus and he was talking to them, he was expounding upon the scriptures to them. They didn't recognize him. And they, they were basically saying to Jesus, don't you know what's going on around here? This great man, this great prophet died. And, and they were grieving. Anyway, so as they came in and they sat down at the table, Jesus took bread. And as soon as Jesus broke the bread, it says that their eyes were open and they saw him and they knew it was the Lord. And then he disappeared. 
And then they talked amongst themselves and said, you know what? Whenever he was talking to us on the road to Emmaus and telling us the scriptures, didn't our hearts burn within us? All right. See, when Jesus gives you, when he breaks bread and he gives you revelation, you really see beyond your natural. You begin to see spiritually. That's where I'm trying to go with this. There was a time in my life when I had read about this. There's a lady named Fuchsia Pickett. She wrote books on divine revelation. And I really wanted to understand this. And I was praying about it. I was seeking God. I'd pray in the Spirit. And I was really wanting to understand and get divine revelation. But see, a lot of people, when they read the Bible, they just see the words, but they don't ever really get into the, the what the Holy Spirit's really wanting to show you. Real revelation. I mean, something deep and powerful. They don't really get that. And I was seeking the Lord about it, and I'll never forget what happened to me. As I was in prayer, and I was praying in the Holy Spirit, I was praying in tongues, there came a time all of a sudden where, without me even realizing at first I was doing it, but I, I, had, I was praying in tongues, and then I gave an interpretation. And the interpretation was about Jacob and Esau, which I probably was reading about, but it said Jacob and Esau, and, it, and he said the flesh warring against the spirit. That's what I spoke out of my mouth. And then I stopped, because it, it almost was involuntary. I mean, it was the Holy Ghost. It was just one of those things. And I stopped, and I really began to think about that. And it was as though in my life when that happened, it was as though a veil of flesh that had been there, that the Lord had ripped that veil within me. It was as though the veil that separated the holy place from the holy of holies, it, it was as though God ripped that veil, and now revelation began to come through. But the veil had to be ripped in me. The problem wasn't God. The problem wasn't the Holy Spirit. The problem wasn't God's Word. There was something in me that God had to rip the veil. And whenever He ripped the veil, and I, it was as though from that moment, I could start seeing divine revelation from that moment. But before that time, I couldn't. I wanted to. And I believe that God's wanting to do that in you guys, all of us. I believe He's wanting to rip the veil. He's wanting us to get beyond just natural sunlight. And he's wanting us to get into spiritual revelation. Because what your natural mind can understand is one thing. But your IQ level is only going to be at some point, and even if you have an extremely high IQ, there's no way ever you will really truly understand God with your human intellect. It doesn't matter how intelligent you are. Because the deep things of God, the Apostle Paul said, will be foolishness to the people that are perishing. And he said it has to be spiritually discerned. So in other words, the Holy Spirit has to reveal it into your spirit. And then your mind will begin to pick up this revelation. And let me tell you something else. The Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 14 that when you pray in the Holy Ghost, you utter mysteries. And people say, well, what does that mean? What it means is that you're praying in tongues, but you don't know what you're praying, but the Holy Ghost is praying through you mysteries and secrets and revelation that actually is being downloaded and deposited into your spirit. You know how most of my sermons are born? They're born as I'm praying in the Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit is, is speaking those things and it's, and it's birthing within my spirit. This is not the best example, but you know when... When some kind of, you know, even a human mother or an animal, when they eat, 
first it's got to get into them and it's digested. Then it's able to be given to the infant. You see what I'm saying? And so it's got to be deposited and digested and get into the, the pastor before he can release it. You see what I'm saying? And so the revelation has to birth there. But God's wanting you to get beyond just human intellect. Please hear me tonight. Some people will get this. I've learned through the years that some people, you know, it's different timings for different people. But the revelation has got to be a ripping of the veil and illumination of God's truth coming in. When you're at the table of showbread, that's the place where your heart can burn within you as the Lord is expounding on the scriptures. That's a place where your eyes can be opened and you see the Lord. And you see revelation. It's a place God speaks His word to you. It's a place where you can get direction. And it's a place where rhema sermons and teachings are born. See, some people just take and they'll read. And whenever they get up to preach or whatever, what they're preaching is like Bible stories. And it's encouraging. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with it. But there's a whole different dimension when you get past just the logos of the word, the written word, and you're kind of just telling stories to encourage people, there's a whole different realm when you get into God is speaking this right now to the church, and you're getting downloaded revelation, then you're getting that, and you're releasing that to the people. Those are completely, totally different. This over here is the logos. It's what was written. This is the rhema, and that's what God is speaking now. The Logos word is what God spoke at one time. The rhema is what he's speaking now. It's the job of any pastor, any leader, and some of you are future pastors. It is the job that a pastor takes the sheep to green pastures where they can feed. How many of sheep eat fresh grass here where they can feed on something that's alive, that's nutritious? And... The shepherd will take them beside streams of water where they can drink. That's the move of the Holy Ghost. But it's the job of the shepherd to take them to that place. It's a spiritual thing. But as you get into the tabernacle pattern of prayer, you know, there's a powerful time for studying God's Word. Then this can easily, you know, people say, well, how in the world can you pray three, four, five hours? It's not hard. It's not hard at all. And after you've heard all five of these sermons, you know what I'm talking about. It's easy. But as you get into the Word, and the Holy Spirit is there with you while you're in the Word, it's easy. Some of you have possibly never really had the Holy Spirit be your teacher and your guide, and you got into the Word in His presence. See, get in prayer. Get in the presence of God. Let the glory come. Let the fellowship of the Holy Spirit come. You've worshipped. You've prayed in the Spirit. And then get into the Word of God with the Holy Spirit with you. And you'll be surprised at what deep revelation is coming to you. And another thing is, try to, to develop in you where the Holy Spirit can point you in a different direction in the Bible. In other words, you don't want to go into your prayer time and just drop the Bible and it opens and you go, okay. And you read that. Try to get to the place to where the Holy Spirit can move on you and you sense, I need to read out of Galatians today. You see what I'm saying? Let that be developed. Because the Holy Spirit will take you to different places in the Word when you need it. 
It's, it's so important to let the Holy Spirit help you in studying the Word. God will give you fresh manna. The children of Israel were required to get fresh manna every day. If you tried to keep yesterday's manna, it would rot. And you couldn't eat it the next day. What that means is God is wanting us to get up every day and have fresh manna. He doesn't want you to live on your prayer time three or four days ago. He's wanting you to get something fresh from Him today. Divine revelation versus human intellect. The rhema versus the logos. But let me give you a warning. The Apostle Paul said that knowledge puffs up. Some of the most arrogant places on planet earth are universities and seminaries. People get a little bit of knowledge and they, boy, they think they're something. And some of these professors have PhDs and in human terminologies, maybe they are intelligent, but in God's eyes, they may be a complete, utter fool. I'm just telling it like it is. God does not judge things the way man does. The Bible says if you deny the existence of God, you're a fool. And some of these people in God's eyes are fools. And they're up there, listen, God calls them a fool. I'm not saying they are, God does. And they're up there teaching other people. And some of them seem to be doing their best to make them fools. Be careful because knowledge puffs up. Be careful that as you get revelation... You know, the Apostle Paul said that he had to have a thorn in his flesh. God had to allow this fallen angel to follow him around and stir up all these riots and beatings and shipwrecks and all the things he went through. Because he said it was because of this great revelation that was given to me, God allowed this thorn to keep me humble. It was God's grace to Paul. But if we humble ourselves and we let the Lord take all that junk out of us, that pride, and we're really humble... I believe that you don't have to have a thorn. I believe Paul didn't have to have it. The next thing after that is the lampstand. This has to do with the person and work of the Holy Spirit. 2 Corinthians 13, 14 talks about the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Paul said, I pray that the love of God, but also the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you. The fellowship of the Holy Spirit. How many of you talk to the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit talks back to you? If you've not gotten to know the Holy Spirit, you better get to know Him. You've got to get to know Him. He's a person. And let me make it real simple for you. God the Father is in heaven right now, in what the Bible calls the third heaven. He's there on a throne. Jesus, when He raised from the dead, He ascended off the Mount of Olives and He is seated at the Father's right hand right now. He's in heaven now. And He's there praying for me and you. And eventually, He's going to come back. But right now, He's in heaven. Who is it that's in this place? Who is it that's in you? The Holy Spirit. See, the great revelation about the tabernacle was this. The tabernacle, the Holy of Holies, had the ark in it. That was where God's glory was. Can you imagine the time... Whenever you could walk in the night and you could look out and there was a tabernacle and you could see a pillar of fire over that thing during the nighttime and during the day it would be a cloud that brought shade. But it was the glory. And what happened was on the day of Pentecost, Jesus had raised from the dead 
And now the Holy Spirit had come on the day of Pentecost and they were filled and baptized with the Holy Spirit. Jesus is the baptizer of the Holy Spirit. They were baptized in the Holy Ghost. And you know what happened? Little pillars of fire came to rest over them because now they were the tabernacle of the Holy Spirit. God took that same glory fire that lit up the night sky under Moses' tabernacle and broke it up into these little flames of fire and put it all on their heads. And his message was, now you're the tabernacle. Isn't that powerful? But we need the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. You know, you can pray in the Holy Spirit, pray in tongues. I'm telling you, I've done so many sermons on that and I've talked about the benefits. I don't want to go back into it. But there's so many benefits to praying in tongues. Revelation, inner strengthening, building up your holy faith. There's so much to it. But learning the Holy Spirit's voice and presence... I don't just believe it's going to be something that is a benefit. I believe it's going to be necessary in these last days that you know the Holy Spirit's presence versus another presence. That you know the Holy Spirit's voice versus all these other voices out there. You're going to have to know this for yourself. It comes from spending time with the Holy Spirit. Remember me telling you how Eli had taken little Samuel last week and put him by the ark where he'd sleep every night? Why did Eli do that? Because he knew if I can get him in God's presence, he'll become sensitive to the Holy Spirit, sensitive to the Lord's leading. We've got to get in God's presence and learn. Because I'm going to tell you, in these last days, the Bible says deception would be thick. The Antichrist himself is actually a counterfeit Christ. And do you realize, there's going to be a lot of people that claim to be Christians that one day will actually follow him? Why? Because they'll be deceived. See, this is what we've got to understand. We've got to have discernment in our lives where whenever there's a presence that's spiritual, we can say that's of God, that's an angel of God, that is not of God, that's a demonic presence, and you can discern it, you can tell. You need this for yourself. And whenever something speaks to you, you can say, oh, that's the voice of the Holy Spirit. I know Him. I know His voice. You know, whenever my wife calls me, I don't have to sit there and think for a long time, hmm, I wonder if this is Sandy. I know her voice. Jesus said, my sheep know my voice and they follow me, but they'll run away from a stranger. We've got to get to the place where we know His voice. The voice of Jesus is the voice of the Spirit. And as you hear the voice of the Lord speak to you, And it's not always an audible voice, but more of an intuition, something you sense within you. But learning to flow with Him. Some people have kind of asked me over the years, you know, how do you know how to flow with the Holy Spirit? It's birthed in prayer. Because in your personal prayer life, you move with the Holy Spirit to pray about this. And then you feel a release, you know, it's done. And then you move to pray about this. Then you feel it's accomplished. And then you do this. And pretty soon you get to where you're very comfortable in your prayer time just moving with the Holy Spirit like a river about what He wants you to pray about, how long, and all these different things. And it's not just some dead dry ritual that's on a piece of paper that you go in there and you plop down and say, okay, Lord, we're going to go through this together. And it's like A, B, C, and D. You get to a place to where it's living. It's alive. And you're actually moving with the Spirit of God. And it's not just some ritual. It's actually a living relationship. 
where one day you may spend very little time praying about one issue, another, you know, it just it just fluctuates from day to day how you're going to pray because every day is different. And that's where prayer without ceasing is born. People say, how in the world can you pray without ceasing? What are you supposed to do? Go around like a monk all day? You put your little hoodie hood on, you know, and you get your hands in your pocket and you go around praying all day like this right here, right? It's just like you're just some monk in a monastery. That's The Lord says to pray without ceasing, but you're not supposed to be the monk that's going around praying because if you try that at work, they'll fire you. So, how do you pray without ceasing? I knew this one guy that had a, he had a, this is a true story, he had a wreck, man, and uh, it wasn't serious. But somebody had asked him, what happened? He said, well, I was praying. They're like, well, so? And he said, I closed my eyes. And it was like, don't close your eyes when you're driving and praying. Okay, it's a bad idea. Right, anyway. So, <laughs> that's great wisdom and revelation tonight. Just God spoke that to me. I had to share it, you know. It's burning within me. But anyway, so, prayer without ceasing is something... That here's here's how it is. When you get to a place where God literally, it's like your your spirit man is lit fresh today. The fire of the spirit is lit within you, and throughout your entire day, there's a sensitivity and an underlying communication with the Lord all day. It's like in the when you get up and pray and you spend time with the Lord, it's as though the radio frequency now you've tuned into Him for the whole day. It's as though the spiritual engine, if you will, is cranked within you and it's running all day now. Because the fire within you has been lit fresh. And you go throughout your day, once you really have the type of prayer life we're supposed to have, you can become sensitive and that's where prayer without ceasing is born because your inner man has been touched fresh today and you're sensitive to the Holy Spirit and move with Him throughout your day. That's how you can have divine appointments throughout your day. Because the Holy Spirit will lead you. Learning to receive divine revelation from the Lord. Freedom from a religious spirit. I'm going to tell you something else. People say, well, how can you really truly live free from a religious spirit? Well, yes, you do need to, just, you need to learn what a religious spirit, spirit is and to avoid all of that. You do need that. But another way is by having an awesome relationship with the Holy Spirit. Because there's nothing religious about the Holy Spirit. Did everybody get that? It, it's just not. Religion has a lot to do with the pet doctrines people have and the mentalities of the way they were raised a lot of times. People think, well, you need to conform to this because this is what I'm used to. But see, the only conformity that needs to be going on is all of us becoming more like Jesus. It's not a conformity in, well, you need to dress this certain specific way. And I'm certainly not, I'm, I believe that people need to dress modestly. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about you can get around certain people and denominations and the way they talk, the way they dress, the way they act, you can kind of pretty quickly tell what denomination they're part of. That's kind of what I'm talking about. That's that conformity, those pet doctrines, those ideas, all of that is a religious spirit. You see what I'm saying? There's a freedom from all of that the Lord has for us. All right, let me give you a few more things tonight. The baptisms. The baptism in the Holy Spirit and the baptism in water. Some of you guys that have gotten right with Jesus, you need to get water baptized. Say, well, I was baptized as a baby. They don't count. Well, I, was baptized, I was baptized as a little child. That's fine if you, you knew what was going on, but you still... Did, my question is to you, did you get into sin? Well, yeah, I was into sin. Well, then you need to get water baptized. 
Now, I tell people this too. Somebody says, well, I was water baptized. I was saved. I was right with God and I fell away and I got into all this sin. You need to get water baptized. Now that you come back to the Lord. Water baptism is very powerful. I, I, it bothers me the way some people belittle it. Because there's some goofy denominations out there that teach if you don't get water baptized, you're going to go to hell. Now, where's that in the Bible? And how does that line up with Jesus telling the thief on the cross that you're going to be with me in paradise? What happened? Did Jesus, in the flash of a moment, take all of them to the waters of baptism off the cross real fast and quickly baptize him and then put them back on there real quick? No. They, they passed on in, you know, together. And Anyway, my point is, is that you don't have to be water baptized to go to heaven, but there is a power in water baptism that does not need to be neglected. And I'm not talking about sprinkling. That don't count. If you got sprinkled, it's okay that I just tell it like it is. I didn't say that. That was Pastor Steve-O that said that. If it got on the recording, that wasn't me. Sprinkling don't count. It's being dunked, okay? But let me tell you the power of water baptism. In 1 Corinthians 10, it says that the children of Israel were baptized into Moses through the sea. The Red Sea parted. They went through. The water shut behind them. God called it a baptism. 1 Corinthians 10, 1-5. Now, the waters of baptism that baptized the nation of Israel, it separated them from Egypt. Now, that's a big deal. Because water baptism has the power to separate you from your past. It has the power to separate you from the world. It just does. And not only that, the, the enemy that was chasing Israel, Pharaoh and his armies... As they were chasing Israel into those waters, God shut those waters and destroyed that enemy. I hope you're hearing this. The powers of water baptism is that God separates you from your past, He separates you from the world, and He destroys the enemies that are chasing you. Some people, they they get saved, they're in churches throughout the nation, and they're trying to grow in Christ, but they seem to really struggle. And I, ask the, I want to ask you the question, are you water baptized? Number one. Dick Rubin said that those that are water baptized seem to be more open to being baptized in the Holy Spirit than those that haven't been. John Kilpatrick said those, that y'all please hear me, those that were water baptized had the ability to have like a stability. John Kilpatrick said those that he saw get water baptized in the Pensacola Revival they had a stability about them that those that didn't, did not. Do you see what I'm saying? There's a stability, and there's something powerful about water baptism. And so my question first is, those that are struggling, those that have their ups and downs, in and outs and all that, are you water baptized? Number one. Number two, have you gone through inner healing and deliverance? Because a lot of times people carry so much baggage into their Christian walk that they're weighed down by it, and they don't even realize it's there because they've had it their whole life. And it's holding them back. But God's wanting to get all that stuff off of you and free you up. Okay, that's the power of water baptism. The second baptism is the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Whenever it said the children of Israel were baptized in water, they were also baptized into the cloud. The cloud is the Holy Spirit. So see, when when you get saved, the Holy Spirit baptizes you into Jesus. But when you get baptized in the Holy Ghost... Jesus takes you and He baptizes you into the Holy Spirit. When you're baptized into the Holy Spirit, Matthew 3.11, is 
John said this, I'm not worthy to untie his shoes, but there's one coming after me that he will baptize you with the Holy Ghost and fire. When Jesus baptizes you in the Holy Ghost and fire, there is a clothing of power. It is actually you beginning to move into the supernatural as a Christian. You know how many people out there are, are born again, but they have sat down in the outer court by the laver, and they've, they've made them a little fire, and they've pitched their tent there, and that's where they live spiritually. How many knows God wants you to get past the outer court through the baptism in the Holy Ghost and start moving into the supernatural? See, whenever the priest would walk around and minister in the holy place, they had bells and pomegranates all along the bottom that were jingling. You know what that was? That's tongues. That's what that was. It's the gifts of the Spirit. Is that people are able to worship and pray in tongues and pray in the Spirit. You can't have that without the baptism in the Holy Spirit. The baptism in the Holy Spirit is that clothing of power that's represented in that blue tunic that allowed them to get in there. But God's wanting you to move into the supernatural realm of Christianity where there's power. But anyway, that's the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And listen, if you've been, you've been saved and you have not been baptized in the Holy Spirit, you don't have a prayer language, you can't pray in tongues, you need to get baptized in the Holy Spirit. It's very powerful and very important. The next thing is the altar of incense. It was gold. It had four horns on each corner, one on each corner. And it represented praise and worship, prayer and intercession. Listen, there was four parts to the incense. There was four parts to the incense. They represent praise, worship, prayer, intercession. That's what makes up the incense that goes before God. So when the priest would go in there and they would take that hot coal from the altar outside, they would put it there in the bowl, they would take the incense and they would sprinkle it on that and they were burning incense to God. It represents for you and I today praise and worship, prayer and intercession. That's why tonight as we were praising and worshiping God, the veil ripped, we were in the Holy of Holies. Because worship is what takes you into the glory. And God anoints some people to be able to lead worship because that anointing is on them to take people into God's presence. It's the priestly anointing. See, God wants us to learn how to be... Uh, Peter talked about us being a royal priesthood. He's wanting us to learn how to be priests that know how to minister to God. Because once you learn how to really minister to God, then you pick up such an anointing that you can go out and adequately minister to people. But you want to minister to people, but you don't know how to minister to God, you got it backward. First, you've got to learn how to pray. You've got to learn how to get in His presence. And then you'll come out. See, those priests would come out and they would smell like that incense. Those priests would come out and they would smell like that anointing oil that was on them. When you come out of your prayer life, you may not smell it with your natural nose and people may not smell it with their natural nose, but there's a fragrance about you spiritually speaking. The Apostle Paul said that we spread through us everywhere the fragrance of the knowledge of Christ. But that comes from spending time with Him. But the altar of incense, true worship is in spirit and in truth. There's a waiting and there's even a worship in silence, which I'll get to in a moment. So anyway, you move past now. You've come in. You've washed at the labor. You've gotten revelation out of God's Word. You Now you've been with the Holy Spirit and spent time with Him. You've had the worship. Now you're moving into intimacy with God. 
You're past the flesh. You're past the soul. Now you're getting into a place where your human spirit and the spirit of God, there's a deep calling to deep that's going on. And I'm telling you, it's hard to describe this, but I'm going to do my best. But there's an intimacy with God. See, when the priest went into the Holy of Holies, and this was what I'm closing with, I want you to please hear me about this. When they went into the Holy of Holies once a year, they would take blood and sprinkle it from the sacrifice. They'd sprinkle it on the mercy seat. The glory of God would come down on that blood and would light that place up like a light bulb. Imagine being the priest that went in there. It's dark. You guys ever been, you probably haven't, you ever been in a church by yourself at night in the dark? Because I have. I don't know why, because it's a holy place, but there's nothing that creepy like that. I'm telling you, I don't know why. But he's in there in the Holy holy of Holies. He knows he's only supposed to be in there once a year. And back under the law, he could get struck dead, if anything. So, I mean, there's a there's a holy fear, you know, on this man right now. And, and he's putting the blood there on the mercy seat. And all of a sudden, he's in the dark, mind you. He's got his incense going. All of a sudden, the glory comes down and rests on that blood, and it lights that whole place up like a bulb. And he's standing right there as the glory of God manifests in front of him. And he's sitting there, and he's got this chain, and it's got a sensor burning incense, and he's like this. And he's got this breastplate on that has 12 jewels on it that represent the 12 tribes of Israel because it's supposed to be on his heart to pray for them. And so he's sitting there, and he begins to intercede for the nation of Israel, really, in many ways, face-to-face with this glory. And as he intercedes for the nation of Israel, he atones for them. Then, of course, the whole scapegoat and all of that I don't want to get into. But see, when you get into the Holy of Holies for your own personal self, many times it's not going to be in a standing position. You're probably either going to be seated or laid back, but the glory will rest on you. And it's a face-to-face thing. Face-to-face. How many of you guys have actually felt that? I know some of you have. You may have been hit by the power here and you were down and you felt the glory come on you like a blanket. And it was like you're face-to-face with this glory. That is a very powerful place to begin to talk to God about really deep personal issues. Because it's as though you're face-to-face with God, really. You're face-to-face with the Holy Spirit and His glory. But when you come into this place, don't fall into into the trap of being an accuser that is negative about others because you've been hurt and you're frustrated. Don't do that. Be an intercessor that has God's heart for people. Even the worst sinners that, Lord, show mercy. Remember Moses, when the children of Israel had made that golden calf and all things they did, and God said, Moses, just stay here. I'm going to smite all of them dead. I'm going to start over with you. Now, Moses had probably had a belly full of some of them already. Think about it. If you read the Bible, you know that Moses' job was not the easiest job on planet Earth at that time. Okay? Can you imagine trying to pastor a million people? And about 99% of them were complainers. Yeah. So anyway, Moses probably had this temptation for a moment to go, Yes, Lord. Let's start over. <laughs> but he didn't do it. And he said, he said, no, Lord. And listen to what he said, no, Lord. If you do that, then the Egyptians will say that you're evil and that you took them out to just destroy them. And so he's saying, you told them you would take them to the promised land. You made a promise. So anyway, God, God's wrath was subsided. But there's something about this face-to-face encounter with God like that and the glory to where 
your prayers are very powerful at that time. Number, number two about that. Let me read you something. I, I did a study on this years ago. And this is my Bible that I had back in Bible school. It's kind of falling apart. It's old now. But anyway, I've got a lot of notes in here, okay? And back years ago when I did a study on this about deep calling to deep, I want you to read some of these quotes. Ruth Ward Heflin said that this place of soaking... See, the Toronto Revival made soaking kind of a popularity. You know, it, it brought it out. And, and people now use the phrase soaking. But there was a time whenever it was not called that. But there was people that knew what it was. And Ruth Ward Heflin said, It is a place of great anointing. She had found it. Catherine Kuhlman. How many knows Catherine Kuhlman? She knew God's presence. Listen to what she said. She said this soaking place is a place of breathing in God's presence. That's a quote out of her book. I believe the book was entitled, Lord, Teach Us to Pray, if I remember right. Benny Hinn, who we know, knows the presence of God. He said this is a place of trust, and it is a place where prayer without ceasing is born. That's what he said. Madame Guion, which was a, a French woman, lived many years ago. She knew this place. Listen, she said, in one of her books, she said, this is the place of depth in Christ and fanning into flame what's in you. Now that's powerful. So this is a place of stillness, a secret place. Do people say, well, what is the secret place? That's the secret place. More than anything, that's the secret place. Catherine Kuhlman also said something really deep one time. She said there's actually worship in silence. Do you remember the, the, the woman in the Song of Solomon? She had a necklace that had like a sachet here that let off an aroma. See, when you're in this place, it's as though your heart is letting off an aroma of worship. And it's a deep con to deep. Listen to what David, David found this place. But David was a man of worship. David found this place, and this is what he wrote in Psalms 42. He said, basically, why is my soul downcast within me? And then he goes on to verse 7, and he says this, Deep calls to deep, in the roar of your waterfalls, all your waves and your breakers have swept over me. This is a place, and some of you have probably experienced this and didn't even know it. This is a place where you feel waves of God's glory over you. And some of you guys have felt that under the power here. I know you have. I have many times. But you feel just waves of God's glory sweeping over you. That's deep calling to deep. See, what I believed happened, this is this, I'm going to pray with people after after this. But what I believed happened when Jesus raised from the dead and he appeared to them, the Bible says that he Jesus in John it says he blew on them and said, Receive the Spirit. And in the book of Luke, it says that he had opened their minds to the scriptures. Now, this is just my opinion. I believe that probably that happened at the same time. Because Jesus comes in, and he says, receive the Holy Spirit. And they're standing there. And then in the book of Luke, it says that he had opened their minds to be able to understand the scriptures. I believe probably that was a similar thing going on at the same time. But what happened was Jesus had raised from the dead... And they saw him, and you know it scared him after death at first. You know They saw him raised from the dead. 
And they believed. And once they believed, now they were candidates to be born again. Do you see what I'm saying? And when Jesus said, receive the Holy Spirit and blew on them, what happened, I believe, they were born again right there. And their minds began to open up and they could understand the scriptures. All the things Jesus had taught them, now the Holy Spirit was living inside them and now they could really understand what he was saying. Then whenever he ascended to heaven, he said, wait in Jerusalem because I'm going to send the promised Holy Spirit. And he ascended and they went to the upper room area. They were praying, which was by the temple. And all of a sudden when the day of Pentecost came, the Holy Spirit fell you know the story. I mean, they were baptized. The Holy Spirit spoke in tongues. But see, the Lord is wanting us now that we've been baptized in the Holy Spirit. And if you haven't, I'll pray for you and you will be. But once you're baptized in the Holy Spirit, it is now that we are priests to minister unto God. Now we are the tabernacle of the Holy Spirit. When they said the temple... I like saying the tabernacle of the Holy Spirit because I, I love the tabernacle. You know, I've studied that so much. But we are the temple or the tabernacle of the Holy Spirit that hosts God's glory. And this is what I want you to write down before I pray with you. On the back, I gave a bunch of scriptural prayers that I pray. You can memorize those and pray them. I want you to write this down somewhere where you're not going to lose it. This is one of those things, if you want to write this down in your Bible, it would be okay. I got notes all through my Bible, man, I tell you. I've got pages coming out. I actually need to go in and get this professionally rebound. I'm just giving people a chance to be ready. All right, is everybody good? Here is one of the most powerful prayers that God taught me. And when I prayed this way, I'm telling you, it will radically change your life. And it's so simple, though. Pray every day that the Lord will help you to see everything that he's he's doing this through you that he that he will help you to see every person place and situation through his eyes that you're not seeing it the way you normally see it but you're actually seeing it through his eyes that he's doing that through you he's helping you to see with his eyes and that he will hear through you with his ears because you need to hear with his ears and that you will have his heart And that you will have his mind. If you'll pray that every day, it will radically, completely, totally transform your life. Because see, a lot of people fall into the trap of thinking, well, I'm anointed, I'm gifted, or whatever, and they automatically just think by default, well, if I think it's a certain way, then the Lord obviously thinks that way. But how many knows that our our thoughts are not his thoughts, okay? You, you have to humble yourself and realize that I may be anointed or whatever, but that does not mean that the Lord agrees with all my opinions. That does not mean that my thoughts are automatically just His thoughts. And that the way that I feel about everything is just the way Jesus feels about it. There's people that believe that. But if you'll humble yourself, the Lord will cause, as you ask Him, He will cause that your eyes will begin to see differently. You will see people, places, and situations different. You'll begin to hear different, and you'll begin to have a different heart, and you'll begin to have a different way of thinking. It's being conformed into Christ's image on the inside. That is a prayer I recommend that you pray every day. Lord, put me on like a glove. Come live your life through me. See through my eyes the way you see. Hear through my ears the way you hear. Help me have your heart.
in every situation that comes up, help me have your heart for people, places, situations, circumstances, whatever. I want to have your heart and I want to have your mind. Tune my mind into your mind that I will think your thoughts. And I believe that those type of prayers make you a candidate for great and powerful anointings in your life because the Lord can trust you with it. If you have His heart and His mind and you see people with His eyes, then He can trust you with an awesome anointing. Because if you don't see people that way, you can actually go against the things of God. You've got to be careful because you can actually bless what Jesus is cursing. You can curse what Jesus is blessing. You can oppose things the Lord is for. And you can be for things the Lord is opposed to. And it's not that hard to do that. That's why we've got to be in tune with Him. This is good, isn't it? We've got to be in tune with Him. Because if you're not careful, you can fall into a delusion. Many people started good and ended bad. They started really good. But at some point in their life and ministry, it took a turn. A lot of times that's pride, but it took a turn. And now they're actually becoming more and more of an enemy of Christ. And because they're actually opposing the things that at one time they were for, the things Jesus was for, but now they're opposing it. And they don't even mean to. 